Welcome to Season 4 of Trying Our Best, a mother-daughter pop culture podcast. Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Ayla, and you may have noticed a slight change in our intro. That's because this is the very last season of The Good Place, and Ayla and I have talked about it, and we're not ready to stop making this podcast yet. So instead of calling it a mother-daughter good place podcast, we're calling it a mother-daughter pop culture podcast. So after our Good Place podcast, we're going we're gonna to do a new show, but we cannot tell you until the very end of the season. So if you want to know what we have in store for season five of Trying Our Best when we start a brand new show, you'll have to stay tuned, though we might drop a couple hints along the way. But today we're talking about season four, episode one of The Good Place. So when season three wrapped up, it was really sad because Chidi had to have his memory wiped in order to preserve the integrity of their experiment. Can you remind us what the experiment is, Ayla? Yeah. So the good place and the bad place were like arguing about how humans could get better, blah, blah, blah. And um, they did an experiment. So the judge said that... Um, that the bad place would choose four humans um, that would be like like the are the original four humans. So equally bad, in other words, that they they had the same rough score as the four humans, Chidi, Tahani, Jason, and Eleanor did when they were originally put into the bad place. But Michael would design the neighborhood, and Janet would create all the people. So the conclusion at the end will be. So if Michael is right and the humans do get better, then Sean will have to put a change in the system and admit that the system is messed up. But if Sean is right and the humans don't get better, then then the system stays the same and bad humans will just get tortured for all eternity. So basically, what's at stake here is the future of humanity's eternity. Are they going to all be doomed to the bad place forever? Or is there going to be some kind of system-wide change that makes things more fair and gives humans the opportunity to improve even after they have died? No pressure or anything. So due to Michael's mental breakdown a few episodes ago, Eleanor became the leader and was in charge of everything. But... Eleanor had never really led anything before because she avoided people most of her life. So Michael was giving them all a pep talk. And I found this pep talk really interesting because at the beginning of it, Michael says, I believe we're destined to succeed. And then he goes on to explain that he believes that because they have such a great team. And he's going through and saying what qualities each of the people, or in the case of Janet, not people, um, that they have on their team, what, what they bring to it, and how together they have all these strengths and that they can overcome any obstacle that the bad place throws their way. But the thing that we wanted to talk about a little bit is that concept of destiny and building a great team. I I don't really feel like anything can be destined. Nothing is set in stone, ever. Well, and 
true destiny would mean that we're trapped in it, right? Whatever has already been determined is going to happen no matter what. Um, and I don't think that's exactly what Michael's talking about here because he's saying that the team they've assembled is what has made them strong enough. So in a world where they didn't come together, where they didn't meet each other, then this wouldn't be the success that would happen. And so obviously it's not exactly destined because unless you just, I guess, keep working backwards and saying it was destined that they met each other and it was destined that they had these skills and it was destined. But at some point, like, you have to draw some lines or what are you even talking about? And I know that I said nothing is set in stone earlier, but uh, even things that are set in stone, well, stone can be worn down and broken. So things that are set in stone aren't always permanent. Yeah, so I think we're in agreement that destiny as a concept might sound good, but that really the future is always changing because we get to change it. We get to shape it. We get to make choices. And some of those choices are which people we spend our time around or who we decide to trust or who we work with on a project. And I think that Michael is making a good point that their team has a lot of different strengths that they bring together. So the team really depends on what the goal is. So you see, imagine if you were trying to cook something, and then you had a team that was really bad at cooking. But let's say they were really good at something else, like like dancing. Then they would be a very bad cooking team, but a very good dancing team. That's a really good point. So we shouldn't just judge people out of context, right? If we're going to judge whether somebody is a good team member or not, we have to understand what qualities they have and what goal we've set. And that often a, somebody who isn't doing well in one setting could do really well if they were in a different setting. So I think that this team would be good for this um, for this particular circumstance because like, I feel like they've all been lab rats the way that the way that the humans that they're testing are. And I know the humans that they're testing don't know it, but um, the are the original four humans, they were in that exact same circumstance, except it was, except the original humans were supposed to be tortured and these ones are supposed to become better. But to be fair, it's better through torture, right? They're still using the same script that they used on the original ones. In fact, some of the exact same things they're trying to re recreate. So it is really similar. I think you're right. They have experience that helps make them a good team for this job. And they have their connections to each other, which developed over time. So I think you also, one of the things we could say about what makes something a good team is that you have to give people a chance to develop their skills and develop, develop their connections to one another. That it's not just... What do you have today, but also what potential do you have? What skills can you build? So in this episode, we also meet our, our other two humans. So we already know um, John, the gossip columnist, um, Tahani's arch rival, and we, we know Chidi's, um, ex-girlfriend Simone, the neuroscientist, who he had to erase his memory to help. But today we meet Brent and Linda. 
So Eleanor is pretty sure that Brent was sent specifically to irritate her because he is quite a jerk, the kind that would have driven her mad on earth. He's misogynistic and really full of himself and always bragging and racist and just kind of a jerk all around. So that leaves us with Linda, who they can't figure out at all. If logically, she must be there to irritate Jason somehow. But as we know, not much irritates Jason. He kind of just goes with the flow. And Linda is as boring as boring can be. All she wants is peppermints and to just kind of sit around and do nothing, even though she thinks she's in paradise. And the team is having a really hard time cracking through to figure out what's going on with her. Meanwhile, Jason's getting a little jealous because... Janet needed some help from Derek making all the people, and they're working together as a team. And Jason doesn't like that um, a, a fellow Janet that was designed to be Janet's boyfriend is doing a bunch of stuff with her. And he becomes convinced that Derek is trying to steal D- Janet from him. And we find out later in the episode that he might be right. So when Derek tells Jason that he's not going to back off, he's not going to stay away from Janet, Jason takes some pretty extreme measures and goes and resets Derek, which as we know from when Janet was murdered way back in, I think that was season one, season two, a long time ago, that it lights up in the sky with Derek announcing to everyone that he has been murdered. And so they've got to clean up that mess. And who has to do most of the work of cleaning up the mess? Janet who is already very, very busy, because if she comes distracted, then the entire neighborhood could collapse in on itself like a dying star. And um, Brent will not stop demanding things of her. And like everybody else, well, Eleanor wanted her to make popcorn rivers. So basically, at this point, Janet is sort of running things in a really, really concrete way. And without her, everything would fall apart. But that that doesn't stop the team from continuing to make more and more demands on her. And she's starting to get a little resentful of it and frustrated. And I think that there's also the suggestion that she's not being fully appreciated for what she does. I don't know about you, but I think Janet might go on strike. So that brings us to our question of the day. How do you divide work up fairly? In this case, it's obvious that Janet is the most capable of doing all of these things, so maybe it's not unfair to ask her to do them. On the other hand, she's not the only person on the team, and she's certainly carrying more than others. So our question of the day is, how do you divide up work fairly? So pause the podcast, think about it, talk about it, maybe even write about it, and then come back. Welcome back. I I think that um, Janet has been, like, given a lot more work than the others. And I think that it is kind of unfair. I mean, Eleanor didn't really need Popcorn Rivers. And um, Brent didn't need to keep demanding things of her. But, I mean, 
Brent is kind of a jerk and he does think he's in heaven. But I feel like the fact that Jason went off and murdered Derek just made things a lot harder. So if I'm reading between the lines of what you just said, Ayla, you mentioned that whether these people actually needed these things they were requesting of her and that Jason didn't think ahead about how his decision would make more work for Janet. And so it sounds like maybe it's not necessarily unfair that there's more work on Janet because she's more capable of it, but it is unfair when the people around her start taking advantage of that ability and stop being considerate of what it means. And so... I think that fairness is maybe not just about how much work someone does, but also how they got assigned to that work and whether the people around them are doing the work of kind of considering, do they really need to be the one to do this? Is this really necessary? Have I really thought through other alternatives? Instead of just defaulting to, well, the person who does everything, they can do this too. And I understand why they need Janet. I mean, I want a popcorn river, but... It's not fair to pile so much on top of Janet. I still want a popcorn river, though. I think that that brings us to a really interesting question that might actually be a different question of the day sometime. But how much of this is on Janet to set her boundaries and say, hey, you all are taking advantage of me and I'm not going to keep giving and giving and giving? And how much of it is on the other people around her to recognize that they're asking for too much? This reminds me of the book, um, The Giving Tree, and this is there's a huge debate about this book. Do you remember reading it, Ayla? We had it when you were little. I I remember it very vaguely. So there's this story about a little boy who is friends with a tree, right? And the tree can talk to him. And um, when he's little, he just climbs in the tree's limbs and they, they spend the day together. But as he gets older, he gets more and more responsibilities. And every time he comes to the tree, he asks for something new. So at one point he takes the tree's leaves and then he takes the tree's branches to like build a house. And then at one point he takes the whole tree's trunk to build a boat. And in the end, he's old and unhappy and the tree is gone. It's just a stump. And all he has left, the tree is like, I don't have anything left to give you. And he's like, all I want is a place to sit. And so he goes and sits on the stump. That's all that's left of the tree. And it's supposed to be like a a happy book about love but a lot of people have read it and said this is not healthy that's not a healthy relationship neither of them are happy at the end and the tree has given up everything for this man and so some people have reimagined the story in recent years with the tree setting some boundaries and saying no I'm not going to give you my leaves like I'm your friend but that doesn't mean I have to sacrifice myself for you like you've got to Figure some stuff out on your own or we can figure it out together. But you can't ask me to give up who, who I am and give up all of my resources. And so that setting some boundaries in that case made both of them happier and made them both have a better ending. I once heard this um, this story about like this person who who like borrowed everything from their best friend. Like seriously, they needed a couch so they just went to their friend and asked if they could borrow their couch which I think is a little bit of a stretch and by a little bit I mean a lot I mean a couch so I think that one of the questions about how do you fairly divide up work is making sure and this goes in both directions, making sure that there are boundaries. There are boundaries about expectations. There are boundaries about limits. There are boundaries about when someone is asking for too much. 
And those boundaries are everybody's responsibility. It's it's not just on the tree, in my example, to set the boundary, but also on the boy to recognize that he's asking for something unreasonable. And together, those have to be negotiated and respected. And so I think dividing up work fairly requires a lot of communication. So back to the show. Where they're trying so hard to get through to Linda because she is the most boring person on the afterlife, on the earth. She is so basic. And they're just trying to get through to her. There was a flying day, which was also a lot on Janet's plate. And she didn't even want to fly higher than eight inches. Maybe even less than that. And she wanted, all she wanted was more peppermints. And they were just like, and then Eleanor said, oh, come on, live life. You could do literally anything in the world. And then Linda just punches Eleanor in the face and Michael and starts beating up people all over the world. So at that point, they realize something is amiss and Linda is not who she seemed to be. Eventually, they figure out that Linda is really Chris the demon. And this was the demon that was uh, Eleanor's fake soulmate in one of the reboots. Um, Chris the demon in a fake skin suit who had been sent by the bad place to mess up the the experiment. And so as punishment, the judge rules that the bad place does not get to send a replacement human. Instead... Chidi is going to serve as the fourth and final member of the experiment. So our four humans are Simone, Chidi, Brent, and John. If they can get better over the course of a year, then all of humanity will be saved. And if they can't, then humanity is doomed. To be continued. So you need to make sure to tune in next week to find out what happens. What really happens. 